The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Second Stage on this cold, wintry day here in Cleveland, Ohio. Jeff, hey, I'm here, I'm here, too. You're supposed to introduce your partner. Hello. No, dude, I, I'm just talking. I'm just talking. Hey, uh, we Jeff Jeff Cadlick as my partner. Welcome to the second yeah, stage. Thank you, thank you. But I, I, I was getting into now. the war, the cold, wintry days here, and the fact that we haven't been spending much time in Cleveland, Jeff. That's what I thought I was gonna kind of roll into during my introduction. But thanks for rolling. I actually just ran here from going to the bathroom. I'm <laughs> a little winded. I'll be okay. <laughs> but anyway, right. I'll, I'll I'll I think you and I talked about this this morning that normally by the end of just. Uh, January, my mindset is much worse because it's always gray and cold here in Cleveland, and it will be this way through probably the end of March. But I've been traveling as you have for most. Of, you were in California, and I was in in Colorado, where it's in normally Chicago. In, in Chicago, Chicago, where it's yeah. normally sunny. And so I feel, you know, a little bit more uplifted than I normally do at this point of the year. I like your kind of positive uh, demeanor there. It's uh, it's very Fine. unlike you. Well, now I this, I'm sure it'll all collapse next week. And where are you going tomorrow? You're going. Are you going somewhere warm tomorrow, or where are you going? Oh yeah, Vegas. I've never been to Vegas. Really? I'm not a big Vegas fan. I got to be honest with you. It's just uh, too. I get to go to D.C. and New York. But I guess I'm meeting you in New York, so that way we get to both kind of freeze together at the end of the week. That's good. Yeah, I'm not convinced we're going to make it to New York at the end of the week, but just just saying. Cool. Well, most people are trying to run from New York, being the fact this big nor'easter snowstorm things coming on. But you know, not we're not smart enough to figure that out. Anywho, yeah. Well, we run towards trouble. That's what we do here at Evolution. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like All right. It. So, so Brendan, um, I want to talk a little bit about our guest from the previous show. If our listeners recall, it was the show Leadership Development. It was with Jonathan Wygant, founder and CEO of Big Speak. And, uh, you know, he, he was very, very insightful. I thought he had a, a lot of very, very good points. And uh, um, what his, his organization is, is one of the largest business-oriented speaker bureaus in North America, focused on, focused on serving the Fortune 1000 and multinational companies worldwide. Um you can find him at www.bigspeak.com. Uh, and he had a lot of uh, – one of the things I, I asked him uh, uh, is what is what is the most single most important quality of outstanding leaders? And he gave me more than one, if I recall, in my notes. Uh, the, the one he came up with the first was vision. And, um, and part of 
part of having a vision is just having this uh, emotional intelligence. Um, You're screwed also, then. I know. <laughs> totally. Just that, <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to lay off that, what was running through my mind there. Uh, yep. The other one was just being an active listener and also was appreciating other strengths. I mean, don't get all worked up about having other strong leaders around you. Those were some of the important qualities of outstanding leaders, according to Jonathan Wygant. But uh, I thought it was a wonderful show. Uh, I thought he was uh, a great guest, and uh, hopefully we'll have either him or one of his many speakers on on our call. So he also mentioned a bunch of books as well that you and I hadn't heard of. One of them was Marcus Buckingham's book, Strength Finder Profile, and then he had another one uh, by Jack Hanfield called Success Principles, both of which I have bought but I've yet to read. Yeah, no, I, I thought uh, Jonathan was a great resource and, uh, quite frankly, uh, kind of was, was fully planning on following up with him uh, before this, this uh, show. So I need to, I need to do that because I think he's got, a, obviously, somebody that's very passionate about this section of, the, of small businesses and section of the universe and as you know, in, in, uh, in, in great resource for, for business owners. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And you know, I, think, um, I think he's got some great experiences that, that you and I can learn from. I know you, you find that hard to believe, but uh, I'm still really out there to trying believe. to learn. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, we've always said that entrepreneurship is kind of a lifelong uh, learning path, and um, uh, we're constantly striving. to. And that's the great thing about the show, right, that we get to meet a lot of new and interesting people. If you recall, uh, our guest before that was uh, Brett Smith uh, from one of the greatest universities on earth, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, uh, talking about entrepreneurially minded students. Uh, and that brings us to today's guest, Brett Palmer. He's the president of the Small Business Investor Alliance, and our show is Small Business in the Evolving Political Landscape. Um, we are apolitical here on uh, uh, the, the second stage, but we think that Politics certainly plays a big role in, in the outlook of the business environment. Brennan, we're, we're, ap we're, ap we're apolitical as long as it's pro-business. Is that what you're saying? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I, 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 I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page there because I was going to have to drop you as a partner if we didn't come to a conclusion <laughs> on that one. I, I appreciate the clarification. I appreciate that. Um, but Brett, we know well, uh, and Brett is uh, – a highly regarded president of an association. He's perfectly situated with his his former experiences to to be the the um, president of this association. Um, in his role as the president, uh, Mr. Palmer works to foster a healthy environment for small business investing and a strong and profitable private equity industry. In addition to running the SBIA organization, he serves as its principal liaison with Congress, the executive branch, and other industry organizations. Mr. Palmer brings years of valuable public policy and advocacy experience to the alliance. In Congress, he served as a policy aide for the Speaker of the House. He served in the executive branch as a presidential appointee in the Commerce Department as Assistant Secretary for Legislative Affairs and as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Trade Legislation. And he also graduated from Davidson College with a degree in history. Jeff, did you say that he worked for the Speaker of the House? Is that what you said? I sure did. Wow. He that's served a, as a policy aide for the Speaker of the House. That sounds pretty high up. We're going to have to ask him what that all means. But that's that's pretty exciting. Actually, you know, you and I have – 
had a chance to beat that idea around a little bit. And that's it's pretty neat how how long he's been focused on small business and helping small businesses uh, grow and attract investment and um, uh, wonderful background, wonderful background. Well, I do want to mention that you can find out more about the Small Business Investor Alliance, of which Evolution Capital Partners is a member, at www.sbia.org. And he can be found also at, at Small Business PE. So, um, but, but Brett is uh, well-schooled in investing, Washington, and small business, which are three important topics here at uh, the second stage, and we thought he'd be a perfect uh, guest. Uh, but as always, before we go much farther, I want to remind everyone that each week we want to provide actionable advice and have you continue the dialogue through comments and questions on our blog at evolutioncp.com. We want to hear what works and what doesn't. We want to create a true community of entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. You can also email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com or call us on our phone number at 866-472-5790. If you would like to volunteer to the community your experience and solution, appreciate it. Or importantly, just ask questions that we can respond to on air. So, um, and then I also want to make sure that I uh, recognize our sponsors, McGladry LLP as a leading provider of assurance tax consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. So I got all that, all that, that business covered. That was impressive. I, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. What were you talking about? Yeah, no, I've actually gotten to the point of almost memorized that because I say it almost every show, at least every oh, show. Good. Certainly okay. McGladry. Certainly yeah, McGladry. No, I, I don't mean to mean that McGladry put me to sleep, just your vo- monotonous voice in that same tone kind of put me to sleep. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask you one important question before yeah. we cut to break. And um, did you watch the State of the Union address? Uh, I was in California, as you know, and I watched it later. I watched part of it later. So then I got a little, uh, so I watched part of it later. Does that, is that kind of, that's a yes or is that a maybe? That's kind of, that's a kind of. Did you watch the State of Union Chess? I watched none of it. Really? I thought it was, uh, it was, uh, it's always interesting to hear how little they can say in such a long period of time. Well, they say that the state, the uh, speaker of the house, or excuse me, the state of the union is really not just speaking to the American people, but it's speaking really to the international community as well. So, I, you know, these these, and it's not just this president; it's all presidents. They last like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. It's a long time. It's a long time. Having said that. I do feel a little unpatriotic not listening to the State of the Union. I mean, you know, it's one of these things about feeling and being informed. No, and I think it's good. I, I actually like I flipped it on the TV after getting back, and they were they, they, some some of the channels you could watch the 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 State of the Union, and some of the channels you actually had already the Republican response. And uh, so I watched the Republican response before I watched the uh, actual State of the Union. So I kind of had some feeling what I was going to say, but. Um, you know, I used to chuckle though it, 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 when uh, Clinton or or Reagan would speak. Sometimes you just felt really good when when they stopped talking. Um, those I just felt that they were really good about making you feel good about what was going on in the country. I, I haven't felt that in a while. Um, so you know, I just and I noticed I said Clinton since and Reagan. 
<laughs> yeah, Reagan was a little a little bit before most of the time. But you know, but you always felt you know you listened to those speeches, you felt good. Clinton was pretty good at making you feel good about what was going on. I didn't feel horribly good about uh, you know what was going on uh, after listening to. Maybe I'm just older and more bitter. That could be possible. I definitely am older. You're definitely bitter. There's no question. Yeah. I was going to say bitter. I'm not sure if you're older, but uh, you're definitely bitter. I'm. I'll be anxious to ask Brett, uh, our guest, if uh, what what percentage of uh, the State of the Union was dedicated towards business, in particular small business, because normally that doesn't get a lot of airtime. Uh, it's all you know, higher level thematic things, and uh, um, you know, small business seems to fall under kind of Wall Street and big business, but. Anyway, he's the expert. I'm sure he's gleaned something from that. He's got that 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 ear, right? Yeah, he's got he's got people that pay attention to that, and he knows inside the belt, uh, inside the beltway. So, yeah. anyway, um, we are going to take our first break here on the second stage, and when we come back, we'll be he we will have our guest, uh, Brett Palmer, president of the Small Business Investor Alliance. He can be found at, at Small Business PE and at www.sbia.org. Thank you for tuning in to the second stage. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. Like any forum, this show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue this discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com, and you can email us at thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. 
Uh, we want to hear from you because being an effective small business owner is a continual path. And as your host, we have a lot of experiences, but not all the answers. Uh, we are back here with, uh, well, I shouldn't say we're, we're here now, not back here. We're here now with our guest, Brett Palmer. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, guys. Good, good. Glad, glad to have you. Uh, we, we set you up as an expert in small business and, and, and politics and private equity investing. So uh, you're, you're certainly um, uh, under the gun <laughs> with regard to your, your responses to these questions. But I said in the first segment, Brett, that uh, I was curious as to how often uh, President Obama had mentioned small business in his State of the Union address. Do you happen to know the answer? I do happen to know that answer, and since I'm in Washington, one of the first things that everyone in Washington does when a new book comes out or when a new speech comes out is they use a keyword search to look for their specific issues. Now, in this case, it was pretty easy because small business always stands out and it generally always gets mentioned, but he mentioned it three times. Once, basically saying that it wasn't good enough for the government to uh, not do harm to small businesses but they actually need to take a more activist approach in helping them. One, uh, once regarding uh, increasing exports and helping small business, and once in simplifying the tax code. But frankly, nothing in detail and nothing really uh, more than an example uh, to a broader point that he was making. Got it. Not that I was counting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but when it comes to that, and, and, and obviously Jeff was talking about earlier, the, the State of the Union address, and, and they bring things up. I mean, isn't there some responsibility? You know, I realize he only had an hour, hour 15 or whatever. Isn't there some responsibility to provide some detail to that? Or that does, does that happen? Tell me about Washington. The help versus harm, experts, simplify the tax code. Those, you know, those all sound like great things. Let's, let's get them done. How, how's he going to do it? Those those are good things, and they're they're uh, you know they're, the State of the Union is, is an odd experience. I've actually been on the House floor several times for when the State of the Union was given. I always start off in the back, you know, when I was you know a young you know twenty one year old person, and then as the members of Congress sneak out of the chamber, I would sneak farther and farther to the front until finally I was sitting by senators near the near, near the front watching the the president give a speech, which is kind of amazing. So not everyone you see on the floor actually is a member of Congress, which is a, one of the dirty little secrets <laughs> out there. Um, but it's, but, but uh, I think it was Jeffrey who said it before, is the State of the Union is a, a statement of priorities. It's a messaging experience. And it is not, and yes, it's important, um, but getting into the granularity is not something uh, that they generally want to do. I mean, Bill Clinton used to get ragged on a lot because he would give these extended uh, uh, speeches that would go on forever. Uh, and they were long. And he would uh, he'd get criticized for, one, them being too long, and, and B, playing too much small ball, where he would give lots and lots of little things that could be done. But the upside of that was that there were things that actually could get done, and there were things that you, people could find common interest. And with a big com- uh, country with uh, amazing diversity as far as uh, geography and economics and culture, you know, everyone could pick up one or two things that they could say, you know what, I'm on board with that. Or there'd be plenty of things they wouldn't like, but they could they could see something where they would benefit. And I think that's something that really uh, has been missing for a long time. Uh, and uh, you mentioned before, you know, uh, how there's sort of a lack of optimism. And it's kind of like they're going through the motions a little bit. And I think they are going through the motions a little bit. At the end of a presidential term, people get tired uh, and they sort of know how the, the game is uh, going to play out. Uh, and so, you know, it's, you know, they can either, you know, you know choose to to uh, catch their breath and, you know, go for one big last gusto or sort of set themselves up for fighting. And 
And I think there was some talk of conciliation and some talk of compromise, but not a lot of uh, details, not a lot of smaller things that, frankly, could build some confidence between two sides that really don't like each other a whole lot. I mean, I, 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 you go back six years ago or so, and, and it sure seemed like that, um, that, that there was some things that could get done. I, I, I'm, I don't want to paint you the color here, but or you know, kind of draw you the conclusion. It's, I am amazed at how little has gotten done uh, in the last, you know, I mean, it really seems like there's, uh, there's, there's, these two sides really have drunk, got farther apart, and uh, over the last six years, is that a? I mean, you've been in, you've been in uh, D.C. for a long time. Is that, is that a fact, or is that just what people in Ohio are thinking? And no, it, it is a fact. I mean, ultimately, you know, business owners, whether they small business owners or big business owners, they can deal with business risk. They can deal with economic risk. It's what they do. They can't deal with political risk. They can't deal with government risk. I mean, it, it drives people nuts. And so you've had sort of a, a series of whipsaw elections, you know, going back to the end of Bush's term when the Democrats came you know, roaring in with big, massive numbers, and then, you know, the president won with big, massive numbers, and they were, really had unchecked power for two years. And they, they did get some big things done. Obamacare was a big uh, thing. That was one of their top agendas. They got a lot done. Um, but that, frankly, wasn't driven by the president. That was driven by Congress. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was really running the show for the first year and a half of his presidency because he didn't have people in place. So, it's, you know, it really, you know, she was driving. He was agreeing with it, but she was driving it. Then, you know, they had, you know, the uh, sort of the Tea Party revolution. And then you had this divided government between the, the, the House and Senate, much less between Congress and the presidency. And things began to slow down significantly. You saw these ugly, uh, you know, shutdowns, ugly fights. And, uh, you know, the American people were fairly nauseated by what they saw. Business owners in particular were just outraged and appalled by the lack of practicality they saw coming out of Washington. I mean, the, the last two Congresses had this, the lowest number of legislative production ever. And that's not necessarily the metric of success is how many laws you pass. But there are some things that just need to get done. And businesses just can't wait forever to get, you know, infrastructure in place and the tax code fixed. They're just, they're just fed up with it. When I worked in the Speaker's office back in the 90s, we had several government shutdowns. Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich fought like cats and dogs. But you know what? At the end of the day, they worked it out. They got a balanced budget. They cut taxes. They reformed welfare. Both sides could take credit. But more importantly, the American people benefited. And I think small business owners and, and all Americans, but particularly small business owners, have just been galled for the last several years I do have a level of optimism going forward, despite sort of the after the election, sort of the, the, the tit for tat that's been happening. Um, but I'll tell you that members of Congress in both the House and Senate, Republican and Democrat, are both sick and tired of this bickering and petulance, and they really want to get some stuff done, some real fixes that affect real people, not just uh, talking points. Now, will they be able to do it? That's an open question. Uh, and the president will have a lot to say whether or not things get across the finish line. One of the things that came out in the State of the Union was a whole lot of lines in the sand that he will veto this, he will veto that, uh, and, you know, that is part of being the president. It's a messaging exercise. He tells you where, he's gonna, where he is and where he won't be. But, you know, having some flexibility there, you know, sometimes you get, gets, makes you uh, get accused of being wishy-washy. You know, George Bush, you know, senior was accused of being wishy-washy. 
Uh, Clinton was accused of being wishy-washy, but they got a lot of stuff done, and they weren't all that wishy-washy. Just life is complex, and you've got to be practical about it, and that's what small businesses, business owners get in the day-to-day, and they wish they could see more of in Washington. Maybe talk about the agenda for the next uh, year or two. What do you see the president and Congress getting done? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. I think one of the things that's gonna, you're going to see happen is that you're going to see Congress start working for the first time in many years. Uh, in that, and this is not a, a partisan jibe, but it's just you have the same party controlling both the House and Senate. And so for the first time, they can actually coordinate their operations and not just have the Democrats in the Senate trying to pass something that the House can't possibly consider, and you can't have the, won't have the House try to pass something the Senate won't possibly consider. Now, the president may not go along with any of it, but they're going to take a look at a whole number of things. You're going to see them looking at serious tax reform, uh, particularly on the corporate side. The Republicans want to simplify the corporate tax code and lower the rate meaningfully because we have one of the highest tax rates on the, on the corporate side in the world. Uh, that is a hard thing to do, uh, but it's possible. Uh, that being said, uh, what the president tried to do, and you saw this in the State of the Union, is he wants to bring back the tax code reform discussions to not include just corporate taxes, which everyone agrees, including he, including the president himself, that needed to get fixed. He wants to take some of the savings from uh, the, the, the spending, you know, uh, or the, the revenue changes from changing the, ta- the corporate tax code to change the individual tax code, particularly for the lower income pra- brackets for tax credits. You know, he's not going to give cor- uh, corporate America a benefit, whether they be small business or big, unless, you know, some of the people that he cares about get something too. It's, um, uh, there's going to be a lot, a lot of fighting about that, whether they can get it done. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to do. These are generally multi-year projects. But they're, they're certainly going to take a look at it, and they're going to be uh, looking at it very aggressively. One of the things that small business owners uh, need to be paying attention to is as they're looking at these, these, these uh, tax proposals and debating them, some will be big, some will be small. Um, the, you're more likely to get something small than big. But how it actually affects them. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, they think Washington's this faraway place run by people that are crazy, t- who speak an odd language, and that don't listen to them. The truth is that the House uh, is where all tax policy is written. They pay very close attention overall to what's happening back home. Uh, they're up for election every two years, and pretty much every member of Congress that I know goes back home to their district every single weekend to do meetings with their constituents. So if there's policies that are developing on the tax side for small business owners or regulatory on the, uh, owners, um, for small business owners, they really ought to take a look at, you know, just go to www.house.gov figure out who their member of Congress is, and find out where their open houses is and go and talk to them. You'd be surprised the effect it can have uh, on steering bad policy towards something better or bad policy towards death or taking policy that, frankly, is in the middle and making it better. They do listen. Uh, not all of them. There are some that are better than others. But even if they don't agree with your political ideology, don't start with your political ideology. Start with, your, um, with the outcome of what you're seeking, and you'd be surprised at how it does move the needle. Um, so I think on the tax side, that's what you'll see. You'll see a lot of um, uh, uh, discussion about immigration reform and, and minimum wage might get tied to that. A lot of minimum wage matters for a lot of small businesses. Immigration reform uh, matters for a lot of small businesses. Again, one of the things I think you'll see is uh, uh, them looking at smaller, you know, uh, bite-sized changes to law than giant ones. Uh, you heard a lot about comprehensive this and comprehensive that. Uh, these last couple of years, it's really hard to do something big and complicated, but it isn't always so hard to do something small 
It may not you know, be earth-shattering, but if it makes people's lives a little better, makes it a little easier to do business, you know, that's, that's progress. Uh, so you're going you're to see some, uh, some stuff happening on immigration. You're going to see a lot on the regulatory oversight to try to keep the regulators honest uh, as far as what, uh, uh, you know, what they're doing, whether it be Dodd-Frank and how they're implementing uh, rules and what that's meaning for small businesses' access to capital, to environmental rules as far as, you know, your Keystone Pipeline gets a lot of attention. Uh, but it's not just that. It, it deals with everything from, uh, you know, uh, emissions to how much dust you can have on a farm to all sorts of things that really affect a whole range of small businesses. So you're going to see from Congress a lot of oversight uh, and a lot of focus on uh, what the government's doing to make it difficult for business to operate. On the president's side, you're going to see him use his executive authority as much as possible to use regulations, to lock in regulations before he leaves office. He's going to try to do as many things without congressional um, help as he can because Congress isn't going to help him for a lot of the things that he wants to do. Um, so you're going to see uh, a lot of you know, folks dancing around each other, but ultimately the one that wins the argument with the public is the one who's going to actually get something across the finish line. Um, but small business owners can have an effect on that if they actually talk to their members of Congress. They may not like them, but they'd be surprised that they actually do listen to them. Well, we're going to take a short break here on the second stage. When we come back, we've got a few more specific questions about some of what Brett was just responding to, and then we'll move on to some more exciting uh, points around uh, one of our favorite topics, private equity. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. 
Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson, and also our guest, Brett Palmer from the Small Business Investor Alliance. He can be found at www.sbia.org or at, at smallbusinesspe. Uh, we concluded the last segment with uh, Brett really talking about some of the, the things that we can expect out of Congress and really how to approach your, your local congressperson about changes that you'd like to make and kind of restating a couple times, I think, importantly, that you don't start with ideology, you start with the issue. Uh, and, and Brett, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, because we've talked about the Affordable Health Care Act or otherwise known as Obamacare a few times on our show, uh, there's an article I'm looking at out of the Huffington Post uh, dated um, – uh, it looks like uh, December 23rd. It says small business owners face new challenges in 2015. And towards the end of the article, it states that many small business owners are hoping for specific policy changes, with 61% stating that they are in favor of repealing the Affordable he- Health Care Act in the new year. Is is that kind of what you're hearing out there in, in your your part of the woods? Yeah, there's there's certainly a, a you know a lot a lot of small businesses who like to see the Affordable Care Act go away, uh, and uh, you know it's um, you know it, it certainly is you know is a, is a hot button issue. I mean the, the Republicans would love to get rid of uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. When I say Obamacare, it's just easier to say, um, and frankly, it's not a derogatory term, so it's I'll, I'll use it. But uh, it's uh, Obamacare is certainly controversial. The Democrats are going to defend it to the death. Uh, the Republicans, you know, would like it to go away. The president is never going to sign anything that gets rid of it. So, as much as small businesses uh, don't like it or want major changes to it, they're, they're, it's just not going to happen. Uh, I think the um, and, and this comes from a, a guy who myself runs a, a small business uh, who lost our insurance um, and had to change it uh, and lose flexibility from what we had. Um, so, I think that uh, you know there are a lot of small businesses that are hoping for something, and people can promise they're going to get rid of it all they want. It's just not going to happen, you know, for the next two years. If you were to get a um, new president next cycle, which you're, you're guaranteed to get a new president um, because the president's term limited, uh, and you, the Republicans won the, the White House and the House and, and, and Senate, you actually would have a pretty good chance of making meaningful changes to it. I don't think they'd repeal it all, um, but and some of it actually is kind of handy. The, the idea of being able to, you know, shop online uh, and, and get apples to apples comparison is not an entirely bad thing. But the way they've got it set up is very limiting and very expensive for small business owners. So I just I want to manage expectations as far as, as, far as people thinking that the Congress can undo this, and it's just not going to happen this cycle. Yeah, you know I can certainly see it not being undone, uh, but you know obviously the election really turned in toward favor of the Republicans, and part of as I'm I'm not a political uh, expert by any stretch, but one of the issues that was given was that there was this this pushback on Obamacare and that the Democrats that were on the fence were kind of trying to you know, distance themselves from from that issue. So I was surprised that that you didn't think there'd be any major changes to that in this in this Congress. Well, I think there'll be there'll be a number of tries to do it, and I think they they want to do it. But the way our government was structured by the founding fathers makes it very difficult to do these things. This is not congressional incompetence that uh, that, that uh, Speaker Boehner wasn't able to repeal at last cycle. 
You know, there are three equal, co-equal branches of government, and the Republicans last cycle controlled one-half of one-third of the government. You can't overturn the rest of the government by, by that. Now they have one-third of a third of government, and even that they don't fully control. They can get it through the House, but on the Senate side, you still need 60% of the vote to be able to actually have a vote, and the Republicans don't have 60 votes. The Democrats do, and the de- no Democrats going to vote to repeal Obamacare. And even if you were, the president would veto it, in which case you need 66 votes. So you need to get north of 10 Democrat senators, more than 10, uh, you know, 20 some odd percent of the Democrats in the Senate to vote to repeal it and override the president. And I, I, I'm just trying to tell people the truth. It's just not going to happen. It is not physically possible under the, our Constitution to do that this cycle. Next cycle, that could happen. Um, but uh, it's, it's just not going to happen this time. All right. So, so maybe maybe the only conservative on talk radio saying it can't happen this time. But (laughs) no, I think it was. I think it's a very good answer, and that's what we're that's what we're after on this show is just kind of actionable advice. I thought that was good. Maybe Uh, go on to my other favorite uh, uh, small business. I guess uh, regulation is this the Dodd Frank and the and the financial reg, uh, regulations and how they af- affect small businesses. Maybe is there any relaxation of that or uh, any any change in in that position? Well, I think I think there actually will be. Um, and you know, any any time you get a giant piece of legislation passing, whether it be the Affordable Care Act or Dodd Frank or you know something that the Republicans did, there are always errors. There's always things when Washington you know introduces itself into the real world where reality smacks Washington upside the head or their problems. And so Dodd-Frank has more than a share of problems, and it's overdue for getting a number of fixes. Some, some would like to repeal the whole thing. Some would like to repeal parts of it. Some of it, a lot of times it's mended, don't end a particular section of a bill. Um, and you do have a number of impacts on, uh, on the economy from the way the banks are in many ways hamstrung. There's a lot of concern about the impact that Dodd-Frank is having on banks, particularly community banks, not necessarily the giant banks. There's very little sympathy in Washington from either the Republicans or Democrats for large banks. But a lot of community banks, there is a lot of sympathy for. And looking at, at some of the, the rules that are in place saying, okay, this is, this, this is a little too stringent. This is cutting off capital that it doesn't need to cut off. You know, this is you know, causing them to hire all these compliance people. And compliance people, you know, you know, I guess in theory help keep people honest, but they don't create wealth for the bank and they don't frankly make it easier for the bank to get money out to businesses that are growing. And if you're spending the more time you're spending filling out forms and looking over your shoulder at your regulator, that's time that you're not spending with small business owners trying to understand what they're doing, how their business model works, and see whether they're credit worthy. So I think you'll see some scaling back on that. If the Republicans overreach, they could get nothing. If the Republicans um, pursue a path of sort of uh, repealing the stuff that really is egregious and mo- fixing the things that need to be fixed, I think you could see some uh, you know, fairly meaningful changes to Dodd-Frank that would benefit, in particular, community banks. Yeah, as a, as a, f- a former owner and a, f- a co-founder of a, of a small community bank or a DeNova Bank in Illinois and obviously a small business uh, operator, it, it just – it's and actually both Jeff and I are former lenders and uh, small business lenders. It's, it's just absolutely crushing to see you know, what – 
you know the, the fact that banks can't uh, lend to small businesses anywhere near the way they used to, and that's just a that's a that's a that's a huge soapbox issue for me. That just I feel as we work with entrepreneurs and around the country, it's uh, you know that's it's it'd be hard to do. Um, it'd be hard to start a business using any kind of bank capital um, the way that uh, the way that we did, you know, 20, 25 years ago. It's it's pretty uh, pretty crazy. Maybe move on a little bit to the private equity side and say, um, can you I know, one thing first there? Absolutely. Sure. There's also something you're gonna you're gonna see on the uh, I think you'll see some fairly broad bipartisan support on, um, on on doing some congressional oversight of something called you know Operation Choke Point, where basically the federal government is coming into banks. And uh, locking up bank accounts of, bi- of businesses that they don't like, you know, businesses that are, you know, gun dealers and sports shops uh, that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it's payday lenders, but legal businesses that they're basically locking up their bank accounts for extended periods of time, which effectively destroys the business. Um, there's some, you know, uh, bipartisan outrage being to brew on that, and I think you'll see some oversight on that because that has caused. Some problem, a lot of problems with, with bankers, and the angriest I've seen bankers. I was at a bankers meeting earlier this year down in Florida, and you know that they had to cut that off, you know, capital that was the the, the small business owners' capital, uh, and basically they lost the businesses. And these bankers were enraged because there was nothing they could do about it, um, and that was happening. So I think you're going to see some other reforms and some of those practices potentially come to a halt. But sorry, go, go ahead in the private equity. No, Britt, no, Brit, that's you. I never even heard, wasn't even aware. I mean, I had heard some of that for some of these newly emerging um, industries as, you know, like in, in Colorado and so forth. But I hadn't heard that on the traditional front. Was that a, was that a Dodd-Frank, you know, focus thing? Or was it just that the, the was, was that a regulator, regulators pushing down on those businesses? It, it's regulators pushing down those businesses. It's not Dodd-Frank. And actually, Colorado, uh, I used to do, do a drug policy um, uh, in, in Congress, and, and the issue in Colorado with the legalization, uh, the state legalization of certain types of drugs, is that federal federal law says those are explicitly illegal, and you're not allowed to use the banking system for money laundering purposes. And the, the the administration is actually trying to flex as much as they can and bend the law as much as they can to get those uh, businesses uh, into the banking system, whereas other legal businesses, particularly as it relates to guns, uh, are uh, they're you doing bending over the exact opposite way to shut them down as much as possible. I mean, I, I've never seen any. You know, I was at this bankers meeting speaking about uh, how banks can, you know, help get more capital via the private equity mechanism, and I and I, I, had, I saw bankers, you know, basically pounding on the table furious over this thing that I'd only heard, you know, sort of little, you know, rumors about here and there and little 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 stories, little blips on the news, but you know, these guys were were genuinely angry and it was real. Um, and I really, uh, you know, it really drove home that point. And, and frankly, a number of members of Congress uh, in the past couple of weeks have come up to me and, and started asking me, have you heard about this? Are you seeing uh, uh, some of this? Uh, because we're going to do some oversight in this and, and put a stop to that practice. So, um, you know, I, I haven't lived it myself. I hope not to. Uh, but wow. it's, uh, there's a constructive tension in government. And when one side overreacts, the, the, the other side's supposed to counterbalance it, whether it be the Congress overreacting or the administration overreacting. And so I think you're going to get that constructive tension that will benefit the public overall, bring some sunshine to these practices. And maybe, you know, maybe they're appropriate in some cases and and they're appropriate. Let's do them. But where they're not, let's make sure innocent people aren't being injured. All right. uh, I'd love to beat that one up because that that just gets me mad. But uh, um, everything gets me mad anymore, Jeff. But that one really gets me mad. um, (laughs) I'm from Washington. uh, I do that. you obviously work with hundreds of private equity funds. You, you know, you, you, you're, you're active in this field. Um, maybe 
talk briefly about what these you'd mentioned in the last segment, or uh, um, what small businesses can do to make themselves more attractive to you know these outside investors and lenders. Well, like many things in life, you know, you know three quarters of the battle is coming prepared. Uh, you know, there, there's a, there are, there's a growing segment in the market of uh, of small private equity funds. Some that are providing equity, some that are providing debt, some that are providing both. Some are, you know, conventional partnerships doing equity like you all are doing. Some are uh, what are called business development corporations, which are publicly traded private equity funds that largely put out uh, 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 debt on, uh, to businesses that can't get it um, from, a, from a bank. Uh, some are, you know, MES lenders. There's a whole, whole range of these things. And most of the time, and there are thousands of them, uh, most of the challenges that small business owners have is, one, they're either too small in that there's sort of a mom and pop and there's no uh, plan for growth um, because private equity really is more designed for businesses. They may be a mom and pop now, but they really have a plan to grow, not necessarily go public and become the next Google, but plan to grow. Um, so you've got to sort of know what kind of business you are, know what kind of business you want to be. That's one. Um, and then in the preparation for that, uh, approaching one of these folks, know who you're talking to. You know, before you, you, someone should go to Evolution Capital, I assume that they should go to their website and say, what kind of investing do they do? Um, if you're a, um, a small manufacturer and you're, you know, you've got a management team that's trying, that wants to buy out the owner and take it over yourself because he or she wants to retire and, uh, and you think you can reinvent this business and grow it, you want to go to a business that really speci- uh, a, a fund that specializes in manufacturing. Um, that's, that's key. And you also want to know, um, you know how much money you need, what type of money you need, what your plan is for using it, because a lot of times small business owners just know they need more money and they know they could do more, but you have to have a plan. So if you sit down and, and really write it out, think it out, and understand where you want to go, and then put yourself in the shoes of these, these private equity fund managers saying, okay, they've got the money, and of course, you know, you want the money to grow, but they've got to get to figure out how, how they're going to get their money back. And that's sort of an afterthought with a lot of small businesses because they say, you know, what, if I make money, you'll make money. Well, the question is how? And so you have to think about, okay, what, you know, how would they get their money back? You know, is it, am I going to grow this business and then sell the business? Some folks want to do that. Is it, I'm going to grow the business and then buy them out? That might make more sense to keep it inside the family. You have to sort of think about that and then know the culture and the expertise and the strategy of the people you're talking to. And with that, you can really uh, find some good partners who can help your business grow in ways that you're comfortable with. Because, I mean, anytime you're getting capital from somebody, whether it's a bank or from, particularly important with private equity, is, you know, this is a long-term commitment. And so it's not just good enough that they give you the money because bumps in the road happen. You know, if you were a, a small business owner who got a private equity investment in 2006 and it's going to be a five-year plan, well, the financial crisis comes along, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you've got to know who's in that foxhole with you. Is this person just going to walk away? And just say, you know what, they're too much of a headache, I'm not going to deal with it. Most of the time, private equity funds won't do that because they're in it for the long haul. Um, they can't just pull your loan like a bank can. But you need to know how do they deal under pressure? You know, what other businesses have they invested in? What experience, you know, if you go talk to the businesses that they've invested in previously, what relationship do they have with those people? Was it an adversarial one or was it a real partnership? And frankly, their friends and uh, professional colleagues long after they're out of the investment. Those are the things that you really have to do your preparation work and then make sure you're looking internally at yourself. You know, do I have my financials together? Um, do I know, uh, what, do, are my forecasts realistic? Because everyone promises these beautiful growth patterns, but, 
You know, are they re- realistic? And, you know, because these people you're going to talk to, if they really are specialized in their space, they might know more about your industry than you do. And so you can't really bluff them. So knowing what you want to do and, know, and being prepared for it, you can actually act, find a really good partner in the capital to grow. Jeff, that sounds a whole lot like pillar one and two in our five pillar steps <laughs> to business right. success. I was just no, that's, that that's, thing. that's perfect, Brett. Hey, Brett, Jeff and I always love when we talk to you because you you talk to so many you know private equity funds and you're so in tune to this stuff. Maybe talk about um, you know what's going on in the bank and PE marketplace and what does it mean for you know the businesses that uh, the small businesses out there and their access to capital. Sure. Well, I mean, you, you access to capital comes in a, com- a number of different flavors. You know, one is the plain old bank loan. And that's frankly still tough. Uh, I mean, the regulators still have uh, some heavy pressure on the banks. Uh, the community banks are under a lot of pressure. That, that's, that's tough. But one of the things that's happening is at the, the, the market really runs from the small side up to the giant side. And the giant side, there's so much money sloshing around that they're over-competing for, for businesses and over-competing for investments. And, and so mul- the multiples they pay for business are going up. And they know it. That upper part of the market is very frothy. So what you're seeing is bigger and bigger funds stretching farther and farther down to compete with the medium-sized businesses and the people investing in medium-sized businesses because there's more profitability, there's more growth potential, and there's fewer of these giant players, you know, trying to compete in a very small field. Well, what are the middle guys doing? Well, they're trying to stretch down to the smaller side. So what you're seeing is there's, there's actually greater access to capital now than there's been in years, and it's really to the benefit of the, uh, of, this, of the small business owners, business owners who are looking to sell their business now, if they've got a profitable business, they get a pretty good price for their business. They can find a pretty low cost of capital compared to where it's been historically. Um, you know, that's, that's a good thing. Now, that being said, that's still, you know, hard. Um, your average private equity fund, if they look at uh, 100 different potential businesses to invest in, they might invest in one, maybe two. So your odds still aren't great. But there's more than one private equity fund out there, so you, can, so you can look at different ways. But you're seeing bigger funds stretched farther down, and you're seeing these BDCs, these, these, these publicly traded private equity companies, you know, um, really um, you know, also you know, be able to come in and offer what's called Unitronch, where they'll offer, they can provide debt and equity uh, and be at very competitive, uh, very competitive rates at times. But, again, it's all about the partner. It's not necessarily the cheapest capital that you can get. If the partner you're getting is not the partner you want to be in that foxhole with when, you know, something happens, you know, there are a lot of people that are really in this space to be your partner. And so uh, I think you're finding more and more people that are specializing in the small business space. I think you're finding more capital in the space and more choices for small businesses to choose from in the private equity world. In the, in the bank lending world, that's still pretty tough. Hey, Brett, I, I guess I'm down about a minute here. Jeff's giving me the signal. Hey, what um – from a um, from a size perspective, I mean, Jeff and I run into this, and I'm curious to get your your thought. Is there kind of a, a size that a company needs to get to to even consider most private equity funds? In your in your yeah. eyes, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, you guys are uh, one of the, the funds that that's, that stretch down below a million dollars in EBITDA, uh, which to some businesses that's a that's a that's a crazy number, huge. To a lot of small businesses, you know, that's that's a pretty reasonable size. Um, you know, you're seeing, you know, basically once you get north of a million dollars, it gets a little easier. Um, but there's actually a great uh, Pepperdine's Business School has a uh, center for private capital markets. And they quarterly put out a study that's worth taking a look at. It sort of shows you the break-even point above which, if you, once you're above a certain size, banks and private equity funds are throwing money at you. Uh, you know, it's every, every small business owner's dream. Below a certain size, it's really tough. 
and below a million is, is, is tough. I mean, the, the, the businesses that are getting small uh, private equity investment are more profitable, more growth-oriented. Um, but it's uh, uh, but it, it is it is hard, and so the smaller you are, the harder it is, harder it is. Um, but that doesn't mean that you should give up. It just means there's more growth potential. Hey Brett, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, we knew you would be full of great information, insight in Washington, and you did not disappoint. We appreciate you being on the show, and we're going to take one final break here on the second stage. And we'll be back to share some concluding thoughts about today's conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of, a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to the second stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back. This is Jeff Cadlick, and I'm here with my partner, Brendan Anderson. We just had a... Uh, very insightful conversation with our guest, Brett Palmer, president of the SBIA or the Small Business Investor Alliance. He can be found at www.sbia.org or at Small Business PE. Uh, you know, there's, you know, politics for a lot of people is just very, very confusing. And, and I'm one of those people, but he seems to really just have a very solid understanding of, of uh, what's going on. It's, you know, he's obviously an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. You know, we've had lunch with him before. You've obviously spent a lot of time with him as part of the SBIA, and it's amazing what what the guy knows. And um, you know, you start get him on a subject, and the and the and the things you can learn is just fantastic. And you know, um, you know, some of these resources that he mentioned, the Pepperdine University, and and so forth. We, you know, we just it, we, you know, I didn't even realize that that was out there. So that's, I mean, I knew Pepperdine, I knew that those that they were doing great work, but uh, that's 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 great. The WW, I think it was house.gov about you know how you can find time with your you know your, your house of representatives and in your in your senators is fantastic I mean that's uh, that's good stuff if people yeah, stop and bitching I, and start doing stuff about it yeah and I thought you know the very practical uh, um, advice that he gave about you know approaching 
political folks in your district and just starting with what you need and what you think the solution is and just getting past all the theory uh, and the political side of uh, the ideological side of things, I think, was was a good start. And then also just him talking about, um, you know, Obamacare, uh, the Affordable Care Act, and just saying don't expect any big changes in spite of the fact that you had this big turnover in Congress. And I only highlight that because that article where it said 61 percent of small business owners were, were looking for a change there. Um, but, uh, you know, and just un- hearing him talk about how Washington really works, I thought was was interesting. The fact that he knew that three the, the president mentioned small business three times uh, was was uh, looks like he that's why he's great at his job, I guess. Right. I guess. I guess. No, it's it's I know we're down to not much time here, but, um, it, you know, it's 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 fun and it's. It's unbelievable. It's also, you know, overwhelming. You know how how much how many variables are, that happen in a uh, small business owner's life. But Jeff, it is about passion for possibilities, believing in your dream, having a plan, great financial statements, transparency, accountability, and the people to help you get there. What else could we ask for? Um, a very uh, helpful uh, federal government that got stuff done and started to cooperate. That would be a good. That, one. Would, that would be helpful too. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's not ask for too much in one show. Passion for Possibilities, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.